When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. Today, we are comparing my Enneagram type to my astrology chart. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that the day that you are listening to this, I get to film a YouTube video where I taste every single summer flavored drink from Starbucks and I'm really excited about it. My thorn is that I can't handle my alcohol anymore. It's official. I am too old to drink. It doesn't feel good on my body. I had like half a beer yesterday and I have a headache today. I, I It's over for me. My bud is that on the day that this goes live, I am going on another sunrise morning walk to the lake and I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, so I am excited about this one. I know that many of you enjoyed the human design episode that we did, and I'm looking forward to hopping into the astrology chart in the same kind of way. For my chart, I am using the Co-Star app, and we're not just doing like sun sign, rising sign, and moon sign, like we're going all the way in. I don't know if I should say like all the way, it's more like a lot of the way <laughs> through it. Um, I am not an astrology expert, but if you are an astrologist and want to do an episode comparing the Enneagram to astrology, you should email us at support at Enneagramandcoffee.com because that could be fun. I'm not 100% sure where I stand on like belief in the in astrology. I, I genuinely hold it very lightly. It's not like a rule for me. I don't think it's exact an exact science. Um, I'm very much a novice and just find it interesting. And finally, astrology and the Enneagram do not have direct correlations in my opinion. We can be the same horoscope type and have a completely different Enneagram type. So this is really a stretch for me. I'm trying hard to make correlations fit between my chart and my Enneagram type. But if I'm honest, I could probably also look at my chart and make a case for any of the Enneagram types. I'm just saying this is like fully for entertainment purposes only. Okay, so we're going to start with my sun sign, which is Aquarius. Um, now, if asked, I would say that Aquarius would most correlate to type 5, honestly. And the stereotypes of both Aquarians and the stereotypes of type 4 probably line up. Although I would argue that if you took a deeper look at either of those, it would disqualify that correlation. But as we know, I'm an Aquarian and a type seven. So let's see how this one plays out. Now, you should know that I'm not scripting this episode, so there's gonna be a lot of ums and hiccups. It's gonna be more conversational and rambly. Um, I hope that you're okay with that. And also, you should know that I haven't ever read my full chart like this, so I have no clue what we're going to find today. Um, so this is just going to be like a fun experiment all around. Okay, let's get into the app and see what we've got going on here. So according to CoStar, having a sun in Aquarius 
The sun determines your ego, identity, and role in life. It's the core of who you are and is the sign you're most likely to already know. Your sun is an Aquarius, meaning you are fundamentally unconventional and anti. You're comfortable dissenting or straying from the norm. Your intellectual talent of abstraction is oriented toward pushing the boundaries of what seems reasonable. You carry a lot on your shoulders and have a need to fight for the underdog. It's in your 11th house, meaning you feel the need to distinguish yourself from others through social status, including platonic and casual friends, along with your hopes, wishes, and dreams. So what I hear here is I hear a lot of five and eight energy in this. So five is very comfortable with being like unconventional, um, being kind of like anti-social, not in like a like anti-social way like I don't like friends but like anti-social like comfortable like not living up to social norms and so I think it's like a fun thing to consider pairing the sun sign with the soul child theory here so the soul soul child theory with the Enneagram is that we are born the number that we move to and rest and then we develop our coping mechanism of our dominant type to kind of guard that version of ourselves so let's say that like my soul child is a five which it would be according to the Enneagram well then like there's that correlation between Aquarian kind of fiveness and soul child might be interesting to play with but also I hear a lot of eight here like pushing the boundaries of what seems reasonable you carry a lot on your shoulders. You have a need to fight for the underdog. That's a lot of eight energy, which is my wings. So that's something to think about as well. My moon is in Leo. So it says the moon rules your emotions, moods, and feelings. This is likely the sign you most think of as yourself since it reflects your personality when you're alone or deeply comfortable. Your moon is in Leo, meaning your emotional self is dramatic, proud, expressive, idealistic, and somewhat self-centered. You need a lot of love, care, and validation from other people. It's in your fifth house, meaning you find security and safety through romance, self-expression, creativity, and pleasure. So what I hear here is mm, some seven things, some four things, some two things. Um, so let's talk about that. So what I see mostly is four, like Leo, this like description specifically of Leo has got very four vibes. It says your emotional self is dramatic, proud, expressive, idealistic, and somewhat self-centered. You need a lot of love and care and validation from other people. You find your security and safety through romance, self-expression, creativity, and pleasure. This is like full on four vibes, Um, which honestly like nothing in my chart touches for, like in my Enneagram touches for, but I connect to four a decent amount. Like not, there's a lot of elements of four that I relate to and a lot of elements that I don't relate to. Um, so, but I like the thought, like these elements I think do relate. I also, I wouldn't say that I do need a lot of validation from other people. Um, we're a lot of love and care, honestly. <laughs> so I wouldn't even know that I agree with this about myself. So that's hard to say. It says, this is, you most think yourself is, reflects your personality when you're alone or deeply comfortable. Your moon is in Leo, meaning your emotional self is dramatic, proud. 
I think that I am idealistic. I think that I am um, somewhat self-centered. And I definitely find security and safety through self-expression, creativity, and pleasure. So those are things that four and seven share. I relate to those. The things I don't really relate to are being dramatic, being, I think I'm expressive. Um, I don't relate to needing a lot of love, care, and validation. I don't really relate to being romantic at all. I'm very practical in terms of romance. So um, yeah, so some of that I relate to, some of it I don't. And the things that I do relate to are very seven. Let's move on to the rising or the ascendant sign. My ascendant is in Pisces. It says your ascendant is the mask you present to people. It can be seen in your personal style and how you come off to people when you first meet. Some say it becomes less relevant as you get older. It changes every two hours, so if it doesn't make sense, text your mom to confirm your birth time. Your ascendant is in Pisces, meaning you come across as kind, dreamy, imaginative, and sensitive. Most of your actions seem subtle and non-aggressive, and you may sometimes come off as indecisive. So I think that's true. I think um, I definitely feel like I come across as kind, dreamy, imaginative, and sensitive, and um, that I seem subtle and non-aggressive, and I, I can see how people would think I was indecisive if they didn't really know me. So that all sounds very nine-like to me, that like kind of nine-esque energy, but, um, and people oftentimes on the internet, like my try to type me as like a nine. <laughs> um, sometimes people type me as a two if they don't know me. So um, that kind of makes sense to me how like that's how I am perceived. The next one is Mercury. Mercury is in Aquarius. Mercury determines how you communicate, talk, think, and process information. It also indicates how you learn. It is the mind's planet. Your Mercury is in Aquarius, meaning your intellect is insightful, unconventional, and super meta. You have a rich imagination that allows you to think in a way that is abstracted from daily life. You enjoy intellectual banter, though you sometimes push your ideas on others. It's in your 11th house, meaning you are curious about and inclined to analyze your friends, how to make an impact on people, and your political life. This one's the most accurate, like, <laughs> of everything that we've read so far, this is the one that I most agree with. So I, my Mercury in Aquarius, it says, intellect is insightful, unconventional, and super meta. I would say that's true. Um, I think both sevens and fives are deep learners. Um, fives want to go really, really deep in one thing for a long time. Sevens like to spread that energy very wide and into lots of different areas of interest. Um, he says you have a rich imagination that allows you to think in a way that is abstracted from daily life. I That's true. When I think of that, I think of it from like the seven place of I believe anything is possible and that every there's always a solution. So there's always a creative solution to any problem. I think for a lot of the if I were a five and I read that, I would take it as like, I believe in the possibility of a utopian society kind of vibe um, because fives have like really interesting ways of thinking and can oftentimes think of really original ideas. Um, you enjoy intellectual banter, though you sometimes push your ideas on others. I think that's probably accurate. 
It's in your 11th house, meaning you are curious about and inclined to analyze your friends. I um, definitely overanalyze my friends. It's probably my greatest weakness because sometimes it makes you feel loved and sometimes it's it's inappropriate or like a little a little a lot. Um, how to make an impact on people, definitely. And your political life. I would say that's true. I, I'm big on like human rights. So how do these things align with the Enneagram? So analyze your friends. I think sevens do tend to do that. We think we know everything. And so we're pretty quick. We're kind of unsolicited advice givers, unfortunately. Um, and how to make an impact on people. I think that's like probably that social seven side of me. So my subtype of seven, meaning like it's really important to me to like not take advantage of other people, to not be greedy. Um, I'm it's I always think like it's important for me to leave better people better than I found them. And my political life, I'm you know, I'm definitely very social justice oriented, which I would attribute to my eight wing. Okay, we're gonna get into Venus next, which is like the love one, and I have I bought like an extra reading from CoStar on that one, so we'll get a little bit deeper. First, a quick word from today's sponsor, which is Love Every. Okay, so here's the thing. One of my favorite gifts to give is a subscription box because it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's like every month they get something and they think of you and they remember that you cared about them and that you didn't just care about them on their special day, but you cared about them the whole year, the whole quarter. And I don't know if you've ever had to get a gift for like a baby or a really young toddler, but it's a complicated thing, right? Like parents have preferences. Some parents are much more like chill than others. Some parents are like, have really specific ideas of what they want their children to be playing with. And Love Every is such a perfect option for the two. Love Every Play Kits are designed by experts for your child's developing brain. So each play kit is tailored to the child's exact learning stage. So they have the right toys for the right time. And with new play kits delivered every few months, they grow with your child. So play kits come with unique one-of-a-kind activities and play things that are built to endure plenty of play. And each kit comes with a play guide that's packed with expert tips, ways to play, and do-it-yourself home activities your kids will love. I was able to send one to my friend's kiddo for their birthday, and they had so much fun with it. This is what she had to say about it. It has been so much fun. Both boys play with it every day. There's a camper van that you open with a simple key and four little wooden dolls. They each have a sleeping bag, so they play like they are going to sleep and camping, and there's also a little tent for them. There are geometric colorful blocks for building fun towers, and there's a counting box that's used to learn how to count, but their imaginations run wild and use it for all kinds of play. So take the guesswork out of your child's play, choose Love Every today, and get free shipping when you sign up to receive your play kits at loveevery.com slash egram. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y dot com slash egram for free shipping. Loveevery.com slash egram for free shipping. Now let's get into Venus. <laughs> I have a lot of Aquarius in my chart. So Venus is also an Aquarius. It says, this is like broken down into sections. So 
we'll start with where you're coming from. It says your family structure made you controlling. It put a big heart inside of you, but it's also tampered with your foundation. You learned to compromise. You have constructed a personal narrative based on the idea that life should be a palpable experience. This has the unfortunate side effect of making you feel like you had to wear a mask. You put the needs of the group above your own. You judged other people for having emotions because you couldn't understand how to deal with your own. And this has been your definition of uniqueness. You have had trouble accepting that applause and praise are cheap substitutes for being seen. This is why you are intrigued by other sad clowns. It's as if you confuse attention-seeking with self-preservation. I really relate to a lot of this. So I relate to... Mm, I definitely believe that life should be a palpable experience and that's very seven like sevens we believe that like every moment of every day should be magic and that life should be fully enjoyed at all moments um however I don't really feel like I have to wear a mask I don't feel like I guess I do feel like I have to be happy even if I'm not happy like that's been a prevalent thing so maybe that's the mask um it says you need to put the groups of needs of the group above your own sometimes, which I guess is related to like the social set inside of me. Um, you judged other people for having emotions because you couldn't understand how to deal with your own. I mean, that that's true. Okay, that's real. Um, this has been your definition of uniqueness. I don't know. I don't like I don't relate to like the desire to be unique. So I don't understand that. Um, you have had trouble accepting that applause and praise are cheap substitutes for being seen. I, you know, I think this is true. Actually, I'm starting to see how uh, I can relate to a lot of it. Um, you know, I, I've talked before with my husband about how I'm an open person. I'm very open about like what I've gone through, what I've experienced, how I feel. But that doesn't necessarily equate to being vulnerable. Um, so I... I'm not quick to let someone like see me in my weakness if it's currently happening, but I will share once I'm through it, right? Um, and so I have a hard time letting like people really, really close to me, but I don't mind like hundreds of thousands of people seeing me on the internet. So yeah, that's that's fair. Um, and I think all of that relates to seven. I think that there are some like trigger words here for like stereotypes of four that I hear. So like uniqueness is very much like a stereotypical four thing but I don't you know I don't relate and I don't think a lot of yeah that's complicated um your family structure made you controlling I also think that's like pretty fair I I wouldn't say that I like see myself as someone who's controlling but I definitely think my friends and family do so there's some probably something there <laughs> um, and that's probably my eight wing or my move to type one or even just like the, the part of me that is determined to have a really good life um, which is like very seven that is like unwilling to compromise on my version of what a good life looks like um, can be a bit controlling as well. So, okay. I, at first I was like, none of this relates to me. And then turns out all of it did. All right. In a relationship. Okay. It says, in a relationship, you need your relationship to feel interesting and free. 
On your best days, you are an accomplice, in part because you give everyone you love the freedom to be themselves. But you also go through phases during which you get controlling. This is why you feel like an outsider looking in. Despite your real desire to grow, you've never been able to experiment. You think you want intimacy, yet you also insist on alienating yourself from the shared experience of being human. You want to give yourself the same freedom you give others, but you don't know how. You believe that people should have the freedom to be themselves. Intimacy scares you. You correct for this by ignoring all the rules. You treat their feelings as abstract concepts. When this doesn't get you what you want, you become a provocateur. Okay, okay. So, (laughs) I should have really thought about this before I read it all on the internet, y'all. No, I'm fine. Okay, so here is what we have. Definitely want my my relationship to feel interesting and free. I think that's like a very seven vibe. On your best days, you're an accomplice in part because you give everyone you love the freedom to be themselves. Oh, I see what they're saying. They're basically saying I give everyone permission to do whatever they want And even if that's like not always the best, and I think that's true, I think everyone should feel free to live their life as they please. Um, And I definitely am like the kind of friend who's like, yeah, do what's best for you. I fully support you. It's going to be fine. And social norms be damned kind of deal. However, you can also go through phases during which you get controlling. I think that's true within like romantic relationships and I I think that doesn't you know we don't talk about the side of seven of the seven that's like a little bit demanding that can sometimes be harsh in their language that is um the lower levels of health of a seven I think can be pretty intense so yeah I think that's fair despite your real desire to grow you've never been able to experiment I don't think that's true. I experiment with everything. (laughs) Um, You think you want intimacy, yet you also insist on alienating yourself from the shared experience of being human. That's true. Because I just want to feel all the good feelings all the time, which doesn't connect you to the experience of being human. And like, I don't know that I think I want intimacy though. (laughs) Look, that sounds awful, but like I struggle to not intellectualize romance and to not think romance is just chemicals in our brain that are firing off. So um, I don't know that I am like aware that I think I want intimacy. I think I want intimacy, but I don't even know that I want intimacy, if that makes sense. Um, You want to give yourself the same freedom you give others, but you don't know how. This is the social seven dilemma. Um, the social seven is in constant conflict with the fact that they want what they want. They want to feel good. They want to do the things that they want to do, but they feel guilty for doing it. They feel like it's like shameful and greedy, um, to put themselves first. And so there's like a constant push pull there. And that is my life. You believe that people should have the freedom to be themselves. True. I think that's honestly how sevens love people too. I think that is like our greatest skill in loving other people is giving them permission to do what's best for them and letting them feel confident in being who they are, in my opinion. Um, Intimacy scares you, also true. Although I wouldn't say I'm scared of anything. We all know that's not true. It does scare me, but I, I don't know that I've always had that understanding of it being a fear. 
I've um my fear looks more like I don't need it. <laughs> um, you correct for this by ignoring all the rules. Um, I definitely, and then it says you treat their feelings as abstract concepts. I definitely do that. I over-intellectualize feelings, even the feelings of people that I care about. And that's something I've had to really, really work on is to like back up. And because I have to feel my feelings in order to be able to feel their feelings and like understand the emotionality because it all just seems like, why are you wasting your time feeling these things? Because that's how I talk to myself, if that makes sense. So all of that being said, um, that's what we're doing. Okay. When things go wrong. So it says your relationship can start to feel like a performance. You are not a vice grip. You just don't know how to let the right one in. This is why you confuse submission with loyalty. Instead of controlling your desires, you wrap yourself around them like a boa constrictor. You built your self-image around your capacity to give the people you love your complete attention. You are controlling. You pry into their depths as a way to avoid your own. You tell yourself that you orchestrate intimacy, but this is just a rationalization for your tendency to be controlling in a bad way. When things get difficult, you, you hunt to kill. When they get possessive, all you have for them is vindictive jealousy. You don't like the part of yourself that is jealous. You'd like to be submissive. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need someone who will reach out to the hidden part of you and take its hand. This is, it says it's based off of some, some Scorpio in my chart somewhere. I don't know where yet. Um, but I don't relate to a lot of this. I'll tell you what I do relate to and what I don't and see how that ties to Enneagram. Um, your relationship can start to feel like a performance. Do not relate to that. I don't have like a performing bone in my body. Um, if my relationship doesn't feel good, I'm going to like fight until it does feel good because I won't fake it. I just don't have the ability to fake it. So that doesn't feel, that doesn't relate. Um, you confuse submission with loyalty. There could be some element of that of like, this is what feels good to me. Do what feels good to me in order for me to feel good with you. Like I can trust you. Um, I can relate to that probably. Um... I do not wrap myself around people like a boa constrictor. I'm very, I, don't, I think sevens in general were like very keep people at arm's length or like freedom is everything. Um, you built your self-image around your capacity to give the people you love your complete attention. I don't think that's true. I've, I've like in relationships told people like my job and my like work is the most important thing to me. And like, I, you're not going to have 100% of me. So, and I'm not saying that that's like absolutely true at this point in my life, but like no one's going to get 100% of my attention. And I don't think I would ever pretend like that's true. Um, You pry into their depths as a way of avoiding your own. I don't think that's true either. I love to pry into the depths of people, but that also includes myself. So I don't, I don't think that's true. Um... Yeah, I don't feel as controlling as this is like saying. I think I'm really reaching when it says I'm controlling. I'm like trying to relate to that really hard because there's so much of it. But like, I don't I don't feel it that intensely. Um, mm -hmm. You'd like to be submissive. That is not true. <laughs> don't really 
to that at all. If anything, if anything, I like want to be free. I just want to be free. So I, I don't relate to this. All of this, like you need them to be loyal. You need to like control. You need to submit. Like all of that language makes me feel like my freedom is being taken away, which triggers me. <laughs> so, um, that I don't relate to that. And I think that's because it's like really written for a Scorpio and I'm not a Scorpio, but some part of me is in this chart. We'll find out. Okay. This is what you need. You need to be with someone who demands that you enjoy your own company. True. You need someone who will accept your dramatic emotions. Sure. You need to open yourself up to someone who will be able to be warm with you. I think everyone needs that. The performance of a personality is a foolish and sad endeavor. You need someone who refuses to participate in the show you put on every day, but who can also recognize the difference between your pride and your ego. You need someone interested in developing actual self-confidence. The way you sulk when your pride has been hurt is about, about you, not them. You need someone who wants to encourage you to face inward instead of outward. You will gently pull off your mask, but who is also interested in giving you the love and care you need in order to function? Um, again, I don't... I feel like this is like all kind of a bust because so much of this I don't relate to. So it feels inaccurate. Um, I definitely need someone who demands that I enjoy my own company and someone who is able to enjoy their own company so that they can go off and do their own thing and I can go off and do my own thing and we are both happy for it. Um, and that's very seven-esque. Like we're very independent. We like to have a good time. Um... You need someone who will accept your dramatic emotions. I mean, okay, here's where that plays into my sevenness for me. I reject my dramatic emotions. So therefore, sometimes the way that my lovely type four husband shows me love is through allowing me to be emotional, allowing that space to exist, and it not being like shameful because I am so uncomfortable with that as a, as a concept. So... I think like in that way, I do need someone who's open to that and comfortable with that because it makes me more comfortable with it. Um, but I don't, I don't really think that's what it's talking about, but I'm pulling, I'm pulling a connection here. Okay. Our last section in the Venus, the whole Venus thing, the relationships is your mission. It says you don't have to live your life maintaining a degree of separation from the people closest to you. You can be a misfit in one group and fit in perfectly in another. But first you have to get real about your need for forward thinking friends. That's true. Now is the time for you to get your way. Get close without gaslighting, without judging, without rejecting the very things that make them human. It will be hard for you to dismantle your superiority complex. You will regress and want to perpetuate your own inability to connect. You will detach and you will withdraw. People will see your avoidance, all of your sloppy, leaking imperfections. They will see the cold side to your big heart. When this happens, it will be important for you to fit into the world. Stay true to yourself and when you feel like renouncing human intimacy, hold yourself by the neck and put your whole face in it. Okay, so I actually do relate a lot to this, like this feeling of like, I have, um, I need forward thinking friends for sure. And that like, if I feel like people are seeing this part of me that like 
struggles with intimacy and like has a hard time with relationship, I get really, um, like, I don't need relationships at all then. Like, I'm just going to like back away. And so with that being said, like, I actually have a story recently, a friend of mine had like a Zoom baby shower and I like freaked out and just kind of like left the shower, got really nervous for some reason and not even like nervous, but just kind of like, I don't belong here. Like I'm not supposed to have like a group of like female friends that that's not for me. And so I felt like out of place and like, I was like not qualified to be there. Like I'm not a good enough friend to have a friend group like this. And I went to my room and I like told my husband, I was like, I don't know. I just like panicked. And he was like, you need to tell them, like, you need to be honest about like what happened for you. And I was like, I can't do that. And, but then I did. And they were lovely about it. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like no big deal. I love you. Like I see you. Thank you for showing up. And like, thank you for being yourself. Like I love every version of you that has, you know, exists in this and like loved me so well through that. But like definitely my defense mechanism was like, I can't do this. I don't need this. Um, What in reality, like I wanted that friendship and I value that friendship. So that like defensiveness is just like pushing it away. So definitely right to that. How does that relate to the Enneagram? Um, (laughs) I think that there's some like seven there. I think there's some five in that. And I think there's some four in that. Um, so, you know, let's, let's make some sense of that. I think the seven element for me is that I like, I've often thought of myself as like a solo traveler through the universe. Like I just pop in and out of people's lives and then like, but ultimately at the end of the day and when I die, it's just me. And, um, I am here to like, I pop in and like, we have a good time together, but like I belong to me. And so with that, um, relationships, you know, are are dicey or a little bit tricky. So But beyond that, I think the five element of like kind of ghosting and not wanting to be vulnerable is present there. And then I think the four element of like push pulling on relationships, although I would argue that that's like a different energy than what I was feeling. So yeah, that's that. We have Mars next. (laughs) Okay, Mars is in Scorpio for me. It says Mars is the planet of aggression. It determines how you assert yourself, take action, and the energy that surrounds you, particularly in your sex life, your ambitiousness, and when you're angry. Your Mars is in Scorpio, meaning you assert yourself in a way that is serious and incisive, and you push things forward with passion and intensity. Once you decide you want to do something, you don't hold back. That's true. It's in your eighth house, meaning you put a lot of energy into darkness, taboos, rebirth, sex, and transformation. Okay. Um, I think I relate to all of that. I also think that's all very eight energy. Um, and I have an eight wing, so that's how we're going to make that work. Jupiter in Aquarius. One of the two social planets, Jupiter rules idealism, optimism, and expansion. It's also very philosophical. Your Jupiter is in Aquarius, meaning you grow and find understanding through detached analysis and intellectual pursuits. It's in your 11th house, meaning you find success through social status, including platonic and casual friends, along with your hopes, wishes, and dreams. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think this is all very five, like you 
meaning you grow and find understanding through detached analysis and intellectual pursuits. Um, that's very five of me, <laughs> very five energy. And, you know, as we know, sevens move to five in rest. And I would say that um, idealism, optimism, and expansion um, is what Jupiter rules. And I would say sevens are kind of like most safe in idealism, optimism, and expansion. So if we think about the rest move as when we feel safe, then it would make sense that in my safest space, I might show up more five-like. That's a fun way to think about it. My Saturn is in Sagittarius, it says, which is probably the type I would most say is type seven, stereotypically on both ends. But it says the other social planet, Saturn rules responsibility, restrictions, limits, boundaries, fears, and self-discipline. Your Saturn is in Sagittarius, meaning you struggle with restlessness. Yep. Self-questioning, probably. Boredom, yep. And your bluntness. Yeah. All of those are seven struggles. It's in your ninth house, meaning you have had difficulty with the creation of personal meaning. That's maybe true. Uranus in, is in Sagittarius as well. It says Uranus stays in each sign for seven years, meaning it rules a generation more than a person. It rules innovation, rebellion, and progress. Your Uranus is in Sagittarius, meaning other generations are shocked by the boundaries your generation are pushing, along with your restlessness and criticism. It's in your ninth house, meaning that for you, this manifests in rebelling against dated expectations about philosophy, faith, education, and politics. So this is kind of like, it sounds like it's a generational sign. And in that way, it kind of sounds like our generation is kind of like an eight generation of like pushing boundaries, fighting back, speaking up against injustice. And I think that's pretty fair. Um, Neptune is in Capricorn. Neptune stays in each sign for about 14 years, meaning it rules a generation more than a person. It rules dreams, imagination, and unconscious. Your Neptune is in Capricorn, meaning your entire generation finds inspiration through hard work, responsibility, seriousness, and ambition. It's in your 10th house, meaning that for you, this manifests in your ideal, verging on unrealistic and impractical about success and responsibility. Um, so I think generationally that makes sense, but also when it comes down to like where it is in my house and what it means for me, um, that my ideal verges on unrealistic and impractical, I think that's very fair. And I think it's very seven of me. We're, we tend to be um, hopeless dreamers. We believe that anything is possible, that we don't have to compromise on our dreams. And that's how I feel. Okay, Pluto stays in, oh, my Pluto is in Scorpio. This is the last one. It says, Pluto stays in each sign for up to 30 years, meaning it rules a generation more than a person. It rules power, intensity, obsession, and control. Your Pluto is in Scorpio, meaning your generation's psyche is comparatively passionate, intense, serious, private, self-obsessed, and perceptive. It's in your eighth house, meaning you personally are transforming outdated taboos around darkness, sex, and transformation. Cool. Um, I think that that's probably kind of, 
accurate. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. Um, but it is kind of eight-ish, in my opinion. Like, pushing the the limits of what society deems acceptable is very eight-vibe to me. And, um, and with that being said, we've gone through my whole chart, y'all. So I hope this was a fun one for you. It was fun for me to do for you. And let me know if you have other things like this that you'd like me to do. We could do Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, or just like anything else you like. Just shoot us an email or me a DM and let me know. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. I will see you on Monday for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.